So we're in Luke chapter 1. Let's pray and we'll uh, see what we can learn today. Well, good morning, Lord. Maybe uh, some of us saying good morning to you for the second, third, or fourth time this morning. As we are reminded that we can pray without ceasing. The never-ending flow of conversation with our God who's invited us to his eternal throne to receive mercy in time of need. And Lord, I I pray that as we uh, are preparing our hearts to just, to think about you, to remember, to consider the things of Christmas, that we would truly come to adore you. So many have through the year ignored you. And now, Lord, we come not to adore the church or to adore the choir or to adore the band, but to adore you. Lord, help us to to keep you at the forefront of our minds, forefront of our hearts, Lord, in the midst of all the, the Christmas distractions. That we could simply remember the, the, the humility of Christmas and the simplicity of the season. Lord, teach us from Mary, from her life. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, as I said, the sort of the theme for, um, for the Christmas season this year, for me, as I read through the story of uh, Mary and the story of Joseph, and even looking at Jesus' life, what sort of, there's a lot of themes, a lot of things that, that go throughout all of those stories. And what I love about the Bible, especially the narratives, is it's telling the story of people's lives. And there's nothing more interesting to me than people's lives. I mean, truth is stranger than fiction in a lot of ways. And uh, if, if, I can, if we can look at somebody's life, and, and not just look at their life, but look at the way God interacted with them, God dealt with them, God worked with them, then, then we have something to learn about the way God deals with people. And that God does deal with And that may be where some of you are this morning, the fact that God is not a distant God who's disconnected from his creation, as some would say. That he wound the whole thing up in the beginning and then set it loose and now it's up to us and our technology and our reason to be our own salvation. God has an interface, an interaction with his creation and the people in it individually. So the gift of yes, as I looked at at Mary's life, the thing that was interesting to me is that we are in this season of learning to say no. How many of you need to learn to say no? I mean, a lot of us, our, our plates are full, our schedules are busy, and we're like in this place where, especially at Christmas time, I mean, there's so many obligations and there's so many opportunities and so many things to be done. And some of you have been just really working on, because you're overscheduled and over busy, you have to learn to say no. Now, last night, I should have learned to say no because my two favorite words about Christmas season, yes, Jesus' birth, but cookie dough. Those are two of my favorite words about Christmas. And last night, I should have said no to the cookie dough. I mean, I don't know why you even need an oven. You know, you just don't even need an oven for cookies. I don't know who's, who, someone messed up that stuff. But I should have said no, but, but I didn't. And so we say yes to a lot of things. Uh, some of them are good things, don't get me wrong. But, but we, there's a lot of talk because of our schedules about learning to say no. Uh, but there are 
times when we don't like to hear no. I know if you're a parent, you want to hear yes when you say, I need you to get your room cleaned, or I need you to take care of the, the trash. And parents, especially if you've got young kids, you know that, that feeling that goes through you when you ask your child to do something and they say, no. Oh boy, does that make you hot or what? But don't you tell me no. I'll show you a thing or two. As Bill Cosby said, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. And when it's something we want, we don't like to hear someone else tell us no. We like to hear yes. So with so much talk about saying no and learning to say no, I think what we'll see with Mary's life, with Joseph's life, even with Jesus' life, see, we say yes to a lot of the wrong things, and we say no to a lot of the right things. And sometimes we get that flipped around. And what I love about Mary, and I think the lesson that, that I take away from her, is for some of you, God has been trying to interrupt your life. He's been offering you an opportunity, whether that's salvation or service. He's been offering an opportunity, and you've been saying no. And, and I want you to think about that this morning from the life of Mary. I want you to think about maybe saying yes. So we begin picking up Mary's story in uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at, this, at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So, of course, we've seen Mary's relative, um, Elizabeth. Uh, that's the first part of the Gospel of Luke, tells their story. And now it begins with Mary's uh, bit here. Now, in the sixth month, that's the sixth month that we learned of her relative Elizabeth's pregnancy. So it's in the sixth month that an angel, Gabriel, is sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So, we see, you know, again, it seems almost too simplistic to say, uh, but I think sometimes those are the, the most important things to say, that this angel was sent by God. The whole, everything that is happening here uh, in, in this story, in, in this account, is all initiated by God. This is God's doing. And there are so many things maybe going on right now in your life, you don't even realize that God is wanting to initiate uh, now, maybe he's not sending an angel your way. Gabriel's a busy 
a busy angel at this time. Interesting that he, he's got a name. Not a whole lot of named angels in the Bible. We know Michael, the archangel. We know Gabriel. Not a whole lot of other named angels. But this guy, uh, this angel has a name. And he's a messenger. And he is sent by God. So God said, Gabriel, it's time. Why not the fifth month? Why not the fourth month? Why not beforehand? I mean, there's, God is always working things out according to his perfect timing. And so that just at that time, God sends this angel to an interesting place, to an unexpected place, uh, not to Jerusalem, not to Rome, but to Nazareth. You don't see, if I'm correct, I don't think you see one mention of the city or the town of Nazareth in the entire Old Testament. Not one mention. The only way it's become so well known is because of Jesus being referred to as Jesus of Nazareth. He's the one that made the city uh, knowable. Other than that, isn't it's nowheresville. So Mary was a nobody from nowhere. Nazareth, probably about 60 acres total. Some of you have farms bigger than that. You got more cattle on your farm than they had people in Nazareth. About three to 500 people. It was, they, were, they were hillbillies. They were country folk. And matter of fact, regarded by the city folk, by the rabbis and those in Jerusalem, as just that, very simpletons from Galilee. It was a very condescending place, or a very condescending way they would have been dealt with. And so the fact that, that God's decision is to find a woman, a young girl, by the way, many of you know, you're familiar with the story, Mary, just a teenager, not uncommon, Actually, quite common for teenage girls to be married uh, in, their, in their teens, 14, 15, 16 years old. So as I was reading this story, I found myself, you know, I always try to put myself in the story. You know, try to think of life through the, the life of the people who I'm reading about. What was it like? And I found myself trying to put my, myself in the life of this teenage girl. I said, that is a scary thing. I do not want to put myself in the life of a teenage girl. <laughs> it's a scary place to be. But she's just, you know, she had, she had, who knows what her life was like on a day-to-day basis. She had this marriage that was upcoming. She was betrothed. We know that. She was given to be married. Sort of like engagement, but more serious. Uh, betrothal was, I carried with it all of the regulations sort of of being married. If you were unfaithful during your time of betrothal, it was uh, akin to adultery. So different than an engagement in, in that way. It was as if you were more married, but the marriage hadn't taken place yet. Um, so she's from Nazareth. Uh, she's a virgin. She, she has kept herself. And I think that's significant. Sometimes there's things that you're doing that prepare you to be used by God. You don't even realize it. You don't even realize that that, that decision that you're making sort of pays the way for God to use you in a unique way. He might not be able to use someone else who's compromised in an area. And I want to encourage the young girls in here being a virgin doesn't just mean she was unmarried. And, and she even says that, I've not known a man. I've not been with a man. And we place a, a much lower emphasis on that and value on that in our culture. Matter of fact, I had a friend that um, pastored a Calvary Chapel, actually started a uh, Bible college in Germany. And they had a Calvary Chapel there. And, and they would you know, teach the Bible. And so some of the young kids in Germany there were, um, were making a decision to live pure. And the parents were calling the church, going, what kind of cult are you? 
Our kids are now not wanting to be sexually active. What are you doing to them? Because it was so accepted and so expected that they would be sexually active as teenagers. And so Mary has, has not gone that route, route um, becoming in, in, involved. Well, th- this whole thing for Mary is, is going to cause a lot of complications. And we'll get, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So she's betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, a, a carpenter, a, a man, a, a laborer of the house of David, which was the kingly line. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. So the first thing I see there, rejoice. This is the greeting. Hey, be happy. This is good. Um, And he calls her highly favored one. One who has uh, found grace. And, And that's sort of, you could call all of us that. We've all found grace from God. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. I wonder how many times she looked at her life and said, you know, I feel like the Lord is against me. And have you ever said that? You look at your life and, you know, we know that she did not think a whole lot of herself. If you just look over to, to later on in chapter 1, Mary goes to see her sister or her uh, relative Elizabeth, excuse me, and, and she sings this song. Verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. Now, to regard is to look upon. He has looked upon the humble state of his, of his slave, his maidservant. Now, that tells you a little bit how she felt about herself. If you are poor, if you are feeling insignificant, you feel like the whole world is passing you by, then you know how Mary felt. Many people that are poor feel just so marginalized and feel like, Nobody even notices them. I'm certain Mary felt that way. Mary felt like, you know, what does my life mean? What is my life worth? I'm just this, I'm I'm a nobody from nowhere. What possible use could I be of to anybody? Nobody pays attention. Nobody even notices me when I'm there. Maybe you felt like that when you've come to church. Maybe nobody's even noticing that I'm here. Interestingly, the word that's used for for lowly is a Greek word that, um, that speaks of the contempt that the Greeks saw for, for things that um, were on a low social scale or to, to know poverty or to be socially powerless. And it was considered very shameful. It was used almost exclusively in a derisive way, most commonly of a slave. So this is, tells us a little bit about how Mary felt about herself. So when the angel comes to her and says, hey, you're favored, the Lord is with you, you're going to be blessed among women. I can imagine that this is why she gets confused. She saw him, verse 29 says, and she was troubled at his saying. She was a little stirred up and agitated by this. And she considered what manner of greeting this was. So she begins to work this out in her brain. Like, what, what in the world is, is going on? Why, why is this happening to me? What, what, is, what does this mean? And she, goes, she starts to, to think this through in her mind. Like, what could this possibly be about? And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that she had no expectations for anything like this to happen in her life. And this is the story, this is, this is the story where God deals with human beings. Mary understood, if you just look a little bit farther down in her song, verse 49, she says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. It's the way God works. It's really, really look, understanding God, when, when you're willing to look in, in the pages of Scripture and see, this is the story of Moses. Never felt like, could he, I mean, once, he, once he's finished with tending his father-in-law's sheep, God comes to him and says, okay, Moses, I'm going to use you now. And he says, you, I can't be used by you. I can't even talk. And look at Gideon. My life is, uh, you know, where are all these miracles we've heard about, God? Where are all the miracles that we've, we've heard about in the past? And, and God says, Gideon, you're my miracle. He's <laughs> oh, yeah, sure, God. I mean, come on. I'm from the smallest family of the smallest tribe. You couldn't possibly mean that. So I'm in, when I see people that feel like they're useless, I say, oh, if you would only say yes to God, you have no idea. And that's what Mary says. He, she says, she doesn't say, look how great I've done. She says, he who is mighty has done great things for me. See, when you're proud, when, when you're the one that's expecting, and hey, God, here I am. I'm, I'm, you know, man's gift to God. Here I am, God. I've got all this stuff in line. I am the most useful to you. God says, uh, I probably can't use you because you won't be yielded to me. I need someone who will let me use them, who will let me teach them, who will let me mold them. And usually, that's a person who's humble. And that's exactly what it says here. So, so Mary, when she sees him, she's troubled at his saying, consider what manner of greeting this is. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. She was afraid. For you have found favor with God. Again, God is, is, God is looking upon you to do you good, to give a gift to you. Again, maybe in her life thinking she hadn't found a whole lot of favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And of course, the story is, a, you know, Jesus is the central part, but we can relate to Mary as well. I mean, that, so I, I want to get to that. But before that, I want to remind you of something. The, the angel says, behold, you'll conceive in your womb. I'm thinking, man... This is, this is hitting home, right? What, my womb. Can't we leave my womb out of this? I read a story once that there was no womb in the inn. That was bad. But I mean, can't, like, Superman was on a rocket ship from outer space. Like, can't Jesus come just, like, on a rocket ship? Or the stork can bring him and lay him at the front steps. Or, you know, fully born and as a baby and with a little note that says, Dear Mary, this is... This is my son, Jesus. Please take good care of him. Signed, God. Wouldn't that be, I mean, that could work, right? He could just show up fully formed as an adult, you know? I mean, just walk into Nazareth. There's a lot of ways this could have gone. But God says, Mary, I want to use your body. I want to use your body. Now, that, that got me thinking about some things because there's a lot of us in here, a lot of us uh, in America that have abused our bodies for years. Some people have abused their bodies for the sake of pleasure. Sexual pleasure, you know, party pleasure. We've abused our bodies with, with substances and alcohol and drugs and all that kind of stuff. Just to, people have disciplined their bodies for the sake of sport. Matter of fact, did we, we got those pictures up there? I, I found a few ways that people, what people do with their bodies. Let's see if we can pull those up. 
come, all right, we're, they're coming here. Choir practice. Yeah, there's one way people abuse their bodies, choir practice. Oh, okay, so he, I'm just kidding about that, by the way. Uh, this is the, the longest time balancing on four fingers. Um, this takes practice, don't you know? 19.23 seconds balancing on four fingers, and it was achieved by Wang Weibao from China. All right, next slide. All right, there's a good one. Uh, fastest 100-meter meter hurdles wearing swim fins. I know you were dying to know what that... Fastest 100-meter hurdles wearing swim fins. This one's for Dave Blaha, by the way. 100-meter hurdles wearing swim fins is 14.82 seconds. I don't think I could do that without swim fins. Christopher Ermscher from Germany. Next one. This is, uh, oh, this is not, this is uh, piercings. Since first receiving a skin piercing in January 1997, Elaine Davidson from Brazil has been pierced a total of 4,225 times as of the 8th of June 2006, most of them on her face. She was, most, she was a former restaurant owner and is adding and replacing jewelry mostly in her face. She enhances her exotic looks with tattoos and brightly colored makeup and often wears feathers and streamers in her hair. That is what she's using her body for. I think there's one more if you can find it. Is there one more picture there? There we go. This is uh, Cindy Jackson. Jackson. She has spent $99,600 on 47 cosmetic procedures, nine full-scale surgical operations since 1988, three full facelift, two nose operations, two eye lifts, liposuction, knees, waist, abdomen, thigh, and jawline surgery, lip and cheek implants, chemical peels, chin bone reduction, and semi-permanent makeup. $99,000 to improve her body. She said, she said yes to a lot of these. I mean, these people have all said yes and put their time and put their energy into doing these things with their body. Now, God comes to Mary and says, Mary, you're a young girl. You've saved yourself. I want to see if you'll let me use your body. Because there's a common understanding that, you know, maybe if we just give God a little of our time, you know, maybe, can I just write a check, God? You know, let's leave my body out of this. But let me tell you what, what this is what 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy both it and them. There was a saying that, hey, look, the body just is for natural things. You know, just, you know, my body desires food, so I have it. Food was made for my body. When I crave it, I eat it. Food for the body, or food for the stomach, the stomach for food. And, and so they were applying that to sexuality. Well, just like the body is made for food, bodies are also made for, for sexuality. And, and this is what Paul says, now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And sexual immorality was just the context that Paul was teaching them, that the body is not just a biological you know, composition of, of chemistry and cells that is sort of for whatever you want it to do. Because we know this body stays here, it gets put in the ground, it's my spirit, I get a new body, so hey, we can do whatever we want with this body, right? Well, that's not what the Bible teaches says the, the body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God, will, and, and God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? 
Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Again, speaking of sexual immorality. He goes on to say, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. One more place I'll quote just to to reaffirm this. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And, And I think most of you know that. So just looking at Mary's life got me, got me thinking about this and got me thinking about it for us. What, do you do with your, what are you doing with this, this tool? See, your body's a tool that interfaces with life on earth. And it's an instrument. And you get to choose how you use it. You can use it for good. You can use it for God. Or you can abuse it and waste it and use it for, use it for harm or evil or any of those things. And, and that's what I like about Mary, is God interrupts her life. She never asked for this, did she? She didn't sign up, you know, put your name on the list for, you know, being used by God. God chose her for a very special thing that was going to involve, in a most literal way, her body. Just like, you know, when you said, hey, I want Christ to come into my heart, you said, God, I'm giving you this vessel to use as you will. These hands are yours. This mouth is yours, my mind is yours, my feet are yours, my eyes are yours. It's all yours, God. Now you are the one coming inside. This body now doesn't belong to me anymore, it belongs to you. And in a most literal sense that we can see, that was true for Mary, was it not? So he says, I, I'm, you know, it's going to be about your womb. I would need that. And then the rest of your life, you're going to raise this uh, child of mine. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Jehovah is salvation. He will be great. Now, all of you are convinced your kids are great, right? My kids are great. Well, her son will be great, so great that he'll be called the son of the highest, the highest God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. I and mean, that sounds great. Thrones. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his, of his kingdom there will be no end. I mean, that's, a, that's quite a son. That's my boy right there. God's, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this is obviously, clearly, Mary understands that what is being talked about here. This is the fulfillment of, of what the Messiah would be. This ever and eternal Reign doesn't say that he's going to die and someone else is going to take his place. He will reign, uh, and his kingdom will there will be no end. Kingdoms come, kingdoms go. Kingdoms that, look. You think America is it? Man, Rome thought they were it. Babylon thought they were it. Assyria thought they were it. Human kingdoms come and human kingdoms go. All throughout history, that's the story. The kingdom of God will reign forever. And you get to choose to be a citizen in that kingdom by inviting Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, to be the Lord of your life. You can be part of the eternal kingdom. So Mary gets to play a role in this. She gets to be used by God. Then Mary said to the angels, how can this be since I don't know a man? I mean, how, how, 
I have not been with a man physically or intimately for this. They understood. Look, they weren't ignorant. Sometimes we look at these stories, we go, oh, you know, the poor people that lived back then, they were so ignorant. We know so much more than them now. They, they poor people that believe in these myths and things. They understood exactly how biology worked. This was no, you know, she went, oh, really? You know, she knew that phys- physiologically, she wasn't, you know, this wasn't going to be her and Joseph were going to get married and then that you're firstborn, I'll, I'll just, I'll use that. No, this was something special. This was a miracle. And Mary said, the first question she how? She sort of skips over the whole part about kingdoms and reigns and all that. And she just wants to know, how is this possible? And sometimes, look, there's some of you, be realistic. I know you've said that too. You've read it. You've heard it preached. You've, you've, you've read something in the Bible. You know what God is asking you to do. And the first question you ask is how? Forget about how. Let, let God worry about how. You just do what he says. You, I mean, you know, I remember, I remember these exact feelings. I know in, in my life, and, and I hope for you guys as it is for me, it's an ongoing saying yes to God. Because let's read a little farther and then we'll, we'll bring it to a conclusion. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So there's a, a, the first thing that's mentioned is the Holy Spirit. How's it going to happen? Holy Spirit. See, we look at things very naturally, don't we? We think everything has to happen on just a natural level. And, and sometimes what God does is, is supernaturally natural. It seems so natural, but it's supernatural. You think, how can I ever forgive my, my friend? How can I ever forgive my parents? How can I ever be useful for God? The Holy Spirit. It's not you. If it was up to us, we'd be, we'd, we'd be in big trouble. But as Mary said, he was mighty, has done great things for me. I couldn't ever begin to think about doing and, and being part of the things that God wants to do in my life and wanted to do in my life without the power of the Spirit of God in my life. And, and that's what people forget. That's what he says. That's what, what the angel says here. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you, almost like enshroud you like a cloud, the glory of God. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you err not knowing, not knowing Scripture nor the power of God. Sometimes we err not knowing the power of God. That's what we forget. We think it's up to us. And just to prove it out now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. So anytime you see somebody who's barren or someone who's low or someone who's unable in the Bible, that's a sign that God wants to work. And all the things you thought were so negative in your life, all the things, the, the way you grew up, you know, some of you guys know I, I love, to, not that I love his theology, but um, uh, Thomas Paine wrote Common Sense, a, a, the pamphlet that was sort of instrumental in America freeing itself from, from the British monarchy. And, and he's written a lot of stuff. He's a powerful writer. And, and he's the one that said, the, the greater the struggle, the greater the victory. The greater, the, the farther that you've been down, the more glorious it is when God raises you up. And so the things you've thought in your life were tremendous disadvantages. When that life is yielded to God, the potential is absolutely phenomenal. 
the potential for what God can do with a person who will just yield their, their past, yield their present, yield their, their insignificance to God. That's what it's all about. I, I remember when, when we were sort of getting into the endeavor, like I, I didn't uh, take church planting classes. I, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't, you know, I'm just a guy that got saved one day in a parking lot in Charlottesville and just began to let God use my life. I mean, I'm no different than you all. And some of you have been used in tremendous ways by God and, and others in very small ways by God, but that you are used by God. There's no big or small, it's just available. And I just, I remember making the phone call. I can remember where I was the day I was driving my, my truck and I was over by near Keswick and I remember calling because uh, we were beginning to think, boy, wouldn't it be great to have a, a Calvary Chapel here in, in Fluvanna County and we're just waiting for God to raise up someone to do that. And uh, I remember calling when we realized it was going to be this small group of us that were going to be involved with this. But we didn't even know if we could do it. Like, can, I don't know about church planting. I don't even know how you do that. Like, what do you have to do to, to start a church? So we called up the guy who was pastoring the Calvary Chapel down in Lynchburg. And I remember saying these exact words to him. I said, because he, he didn't, didn't know me from anybody. And I just remember being on the phone. I said, his name is Pastor Troy. I said, Troy, my name is Steve and I'm a nobody from nowhere. But can we plant a church? Can we plant a Calvary Chapel in Fluvanna County? And that's the way it all started. I got no reason to be calling you other than just seeing what God's doing in my life personally. And so I know how Mary felt. I'm, you know, probably the least qualified. And that's what qualifies you. And we're in this time, look, we're in this Christmas season. We'll finish it out. Verse 37 says, the angel says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. With man, all kinds of stuff's impossible. And really, what that means, and if you could look at it in the Greek, it really means, for with God, the word nothing really is, is no word, no spoken word. And impossible is uh, powerless. No spoken word of God is powerless. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And his word was in his empowerment. When he said it, it happened. And if you've read it in God's word, then it's got power. And you can trust it. No word of God is without power. And if God says to Mary, you're going to conceive in your womb. You're going to say, how? I don't know how. But if God said it, it's going to happen. You can bank on it. And this is the important part, because what if Mary said, you know, this is a bad time, God. I'm engaged. Do you not know? You want to see Bridezilla, you know, I'm engaged. This is a death sentence for me. You realize that, God. This is a social death sentence and a physical reality, because if you were unfaithful, if you committed infidelity, you were to be stoned to death. And we'll look at Joseph's response to all this next week. Because that's also, Joseph had to say yes too. This is a death sentence. This is, I mean, she's a, a young girl. Talk about social, being, being socially ostracized, being socially excommunicated, bringing shame on her family. She's going to be pregnant and she's going to say, it's God's baby. I mean, are you kidding me? You know, come on, you really think, you want your mother and I to believe that. I'm, I mean it, I'm serious. Have I ever lied to you? In the, no. 
We're not buying it. God's baby, come on. It's an inconvenient time. I'm, I'm about to be married. I, I have not found that God comes at convenient times. Every time is an inconvenient time when God wants to interrupt your life, especially when you feel like you're in control of your life. And, and some of you, it's just, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do for God. I know God. See, some of you right now this morning, you know God is, is not content to leave you at the place you are right now. And there's been some stirring in your heart. You know it. God's been stirring you up to, to something new. And I hope that, that I can look at something else in my life besides the day we got called to, to plant Calvary Chapel. I hope that's not the last thing I can look at. And for the next 20 years, that's the story I tell about God's work in my life. I hope not. I hope there are new things every year to say yes to. We're coming up on New Year's. Great time to examine. God, what are you trying to, to work me, in me now? What are you trying to, to give birth to through me now? And I hope there's things in your life that you might say, you know, I know God has been wanting to do this in my life. Will you say yes or will you say no? Will you give yourself the gift of yes? As much difficulties it might bring, as much, you know, it's not like you get saved and you begin to serve God and everything becomes easy after that. Actually, serving God probably made Mary's life harder. This son she would give birth to, she would have to watch him be crucified as a criminal. She would have to feel all of that heartache, her heart being pierced through. She would have to hear him say to her, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Excuse me? It's tough being the mother, you know, the, the one who raises the Son of God. But she says to him, verse 38, Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. She said, Take me. I'm yours. Behold the maidservant. Behold the slave of God. God... I'm yours, whatever you want, whatever you want. Notice God will not force his will on you. One of the most beautiful things, if God says, I love you, what that demands is that you have free will because love never enslaves. So part of the the demand of love is is that the, the object of love is given free will to return that love or not. And so God will never, because he loves you, you know, you know the difference between you, when you get home and the kids have, when you've said, you know, and you've demanded and you've offered punishment for the floor to be mopped or swept or whatever chore to be done, you know that, that if you've demanded it, you get home and it's sort of like, okay, you did it. Good. Thank you. But if you've gone out and you've come home and they've done something of their free will and cleaned up something or done, you know, then you, whoa, that's impressive. How much do you want? You know, <laughs> what are you trying to get? But there's a beauty of love freely given. There's a beauty of service that's freely given. God doesn't want it from you if you don't want to give it. But he wants you to know the greatest blessing that you could ever, you know, that you could ever imagine is when God gives you his grace, an opportunity to join him, uh, to serve him, and you accept that in your life. It's the greatest blessing ever. I wouldn't trade anything that I've given up 
to serve God. And when I did, you know, I had all kinds of people telling me, Steve, you're wasting your life. You're wasting, you're, you're gifted at this. You're good at that. You're wasting your life. You're wasting your talents. So what? Who cares? Got one life to live. One life. Do I want to practice running hurdles with flippers on? So I can have a Guinness Book of World Record that the guy that ran the fastest with flippers over hurdles? Is that really going to matter? Is it really going to matter how many piercings I've had or what labels on my clothes this Christmas or, you know, all those things that we think are important? Is any of that really going to matter? Or is it possible that God is trying to do something on this planet? He's trying to get us up out of our seats from in front of the television, watching and cursing at the news and complaining about the world and saying, you're my miracle. You are my miracle. I am going to work through you because you are a tool in my hand if you'll let me be. But you've got to say yes. You've got to give yourself and God the gift of yes. So I'm going to invite the praise team to come back up, and I'm going to close this with prayer. And, uh, and this will have an opportunity. You know, just if there's something that the Lord's been stirring in your heart while we sing this last song, while we pray, you know, live a daring life, you know. Take a risk. Take a chance. If you know it's from God, don't take a stupid chance, right? Don't be dumb. But if you read God's word and you begin to feel him move you to, to do something, to start something, to try something, what's the worst you can do, fail? And with God, there's no such thing. He even uses your failures for your good. It's a win-win situation. But you've got to be willing to say yes with your body. Here I am, Lord. Take me. Take me. Take me where you want me to go. Do with me what you want me to, to do. And that doesn't mean you've got to quit your job and go to, you know, somewhere else. That, sometimes that's right there at the, in the midst of your job, isn't it? It's right where you are. So don't get the idea that that's where the angel came right to Nazareth. Right where you are. The question is, we, we just let God have it. Will you present your body to him again, fresh today, a living sacrifice? Let's pray. Father, I just pray over this, uh, the group sitting here on the stage, myself, all of us. For the interruptions, the way you, you want to interrupt our lives. To offer us opportunities for things we would never expect or anticipate. And some people here, I know have been saying yes to so many things that they, can't, that they can't say yes to you. They've not had time to say yes to you. And attempt to free up their schedule some. They've said no to all the wrong things. Lord, I pray that you raise up humble people that have nothing to lose by serving you. And I pray for all that, that feel they have something to lose by serving you. That they would hear the words of the Apostle Paul who said, all these things I look back on in my past, I count them all as rubbish for the excellence of knowing you. Lord, we can't wait to see what you are going to do through individuals in this fellowship that are willing to say yes to a call from you, be it for salvation or for a new work or a new direction, Lord. 
so excited for this next year. I pray you'd open our ears to hear what you've been trying to say to us in that still small voice. Reminding us, fear not. Lord, the excitement of of serving you is, is fantastic. Scary, but fantastic. It's in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.